Good morning. Mark, thank you. Appreciate that, Matt. And then Mark Choir, thank you. What a blessing. And I appreciate all the hard work and the practice and the effort you and uh, the choirs put in, those that are, it's a blessing. You honored God this morning and you blessed us too. And all the people that have put a hand in the, had a hand in decorating this, uh, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And so thank you all who had a hand in that. And uh, it is good to be here this morning. I do want to mention, um, of course, uh, Don and Patsy Vizi have both uh, come down with COVID. Um, they're progressing and they are getting, Patsy is feeling uh, somewhat better and Don is right behind her, but obviously we just need to keep them uh, in our prayers. And these are at best difficult, um, difficult times. Kayleen McWhorter, I think I mentioned we did last week, she had fallen and broken her hip. Um, surgery was good, she's in rehab, hasn't been able to go home. Looking hopefully that she gets to come home pretty quickly. Uh, Blaine Matthews has uh, come down with COVID. He, he's on the upside as well. But uh, many and much to think for, and we've got a lot to be thankful for, but we always have a lot to pray uh, for as well. If I've left somebody out, forgive me. Um, but uh, again, and I will think, I want to mention again, uh, you know, we passed out 375 the boxes for Samaritan's Purse at Christmas uh, there's always a tremendous ministry uh, part of mission that we get to do here. And then, again, just reemphasize there are a few names on the angel tree. We've said it once, just reemphasize. So if you can help in that way, please do. Open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, as we enter into this Advent season, um, I'm going to begin uh, reading in verse 1 of Isaiah 9. And uh, Rick, Summer, thank you this morning as well for your service. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, beginning of verse 1, uh, Isaiah writes, But there will be, there will be no more gloom for her who is in anguish. In earlier times he treated the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali with contempt, uh, but later on he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea. On the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. And all this prophetic word right now is a precursor to the advent, the coming of Christ. Verse uh, 2, the people who walk in darkness will, be, will see a great light. Uh, those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Um, thou shalt multiply the nations. Uh, the nation, thou shalt increase their gladness. They will be glad in thy presence as with the gladness of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For, though, uh, for thou shalt break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders. The rod of their oppressor is at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak uh, rolled in blood um, will, be, uh, will be for burning fuel for the fire. And then verse six, for a child will be born to us a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace, and the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. As we head into our Advent 
uh, season, I will tell you uh, verse 6, those names of Christ. A wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace, uh, beginning next Sunday uh, on the 5th, the 12th, the 17th, and then on the uh, 24th, we will be looking at each one of those names uh, in this Advent season. This morning, really as an introduction to that, I'd ask you to go to Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6. And I always say that I don't believe in coincidence. I had not talked to Matt, but uh, talking in the sense or thinking along, you know, how does God want us to live? What's the direction that he wants us to, to go? What is the way? Uh, I visited with the youth group this morning, and they were, uh, they're always uh, blessing a blessing for me, maybe not for you parents, but they are for me. Um, and uh, they were really, really uh, inspirational for me this morning, uh, having to do with our topic that is leading us into this Advent season. Um, if I were going to title this sermon, I would title it The Mighty Hand of God. I am going to begin in Deuteronomy 6, uh, beginning in verse 1. And again, if you'll follow along. Now, this is the commandment. This is the commandment. Uh, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going. You might do them in the land where you're going over to possess it. So that you and your son and your grandson uh, might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen. And be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently, you shall impress upon them in their heart. You should teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of uh, them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up and you shall bind them as a, as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Um. When you read that, I don't know uh, the thoughts that come to your mind. Um, very clearly what's happening here, if you're familiar with the Exodus, if you're familiar with uh, the great story of the Exodus, uh, you know that God has heard the cries of his people. They've, they've become slaves in a foreign country. They're slaves in Egypt. And they've cried out to God, and God sends them a redeemer, Moses. And Moses, if you know the story, great story, ultimately he is able to, by the hand and the mighty hand of God, able to lead God's people out of slavery. And then, so here they are. They're going to spend the next 40 years traveling on a journey in the desert. They're going to be there. And so the very, really, initial first thing that Moses is led to teach them comes from God. And we just read it. Now, I want you to consider something in your own personal life as we consider the Advent. Um, and this is what I asked the kids this morning. If somebody asks you, 
Where are you headed? Where are you going in life? Uh, where do you see yourself a few years from now, later on in your life? Where are you headed? What do I, took the illustration of a grandfather with his grandchildren saying, okay, tell me, where are you headed? What's the direction of your life? Where do you, want to, where do you, where do you see yourself going? Where do you want to go? What, what's your plan? And uh, I, I, again, I go back to, uh, I don't believe in coincidence. Uh, your kids are very, uh, at least in this setting, they're very forthright. They, uh, God has created an environment in us, with us that uh, uh, they can speak freely. And they do. And they speak with confidence. And that's a blessing. And so I, I had in my mind that I wanted to uh, ask uh, Cassandra first. And there's reasons for that. Uh, each one of these uh, young folks is in, they have their, um, that imprint on them, that wonderful uh, personality that makes them who they are, how God has created them. And, but I had it in my mind, I said, so for this morning, Lord, I'm gonna, I'd like to ask Cassandra the first question. And she didn't disappoint. And it was to me an answer to prayer. So when I asked her that question, she immediately said, without hesitation and thinking, and I had said, now I want you guys to think about this. I said, where do you pl plan on going? Where do you, you know, where, where do you see life taking? What's the path that you need to go on? And how are you going to get there? And she goes, without hesitation, she goes, I want to go where the Lord leads me. I, my direction in life, my journey, my path, um, is I, my desire is for it to be where the Lord leads me. Later on in the conversation, in each of the young folks were really insightful. I wish could have had a videotape of it, but uh, and they have a pretty good sense of humor as well. But um, then I said, okay, and I started with her. And Cassandra, I don't mean to pick on you, but it was certainly, I believe, a God thing. And so um, I said, okay, so that's a statement. It's a good statement. It's a worthy statement. You know, I want to go, my desire is to go where the Lord is, where he wants me to go, in his path, his way, his journey, his direction. And, uh, and I said, okay, but how does that, that's a nice statement. It's a good thought. But how does, how does, does, how does that happen? And she, again, she didn't disappoint. She goes, well, um, through the Bible, through knowing and understanding the Bible, God's Word. Well, there it is. I mean, that's it, isn't it? And we're heading into this Advent season. What is it that we're celebrating? We're celebrating something that we believe uh, that is written. We believe, we practice, we sing the hymns that we sing, and we're going to experience what we experience this Advent season on the basis of what? What's written? This historical word. Without it, what would we have? There's no, if we don't have God's word describing the Advent, uh, what do we? We're not celebrating anything. We have no knowledge of it. We're not even able to practice it. So now back up 3,500 years. And at that moment in history, God says to Moses, this is what I want you to teach my children. 
I want you to teach them uh, the way they're supposed to go, their direction. That's what I want you to do, and how to do it. On the basis of what? So again, just very quickly, verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might do them in the land where you're going. Where you're going. Over to possess it. Every direction that you and I have ever just taken in our life, whether it was named, known, or unknown, or if it was just something randomly we did, there was always there's a stated or unstated mission. There's a direction. I'm going over here. I'm gonna, this is what I'm going to do. And, and it always has a possession that is associated with it. I'm doing this to get this. I'm going here to get this. I'm going here to receive this. Whatever it is, you could just, I could give you a multitude of uh, uh, illustrations. But our direction always, usually, really always has a possession with it. I'm, I'm going to college to get a degree so that I might get a better job, possess something, make a better living. And you could just go on and on and on. It's just who we are. It's the way God has designed us. And here's the sad thing, though. As I asked the kids that question, I said, now I really want to, I'm going to give you a minute to think about this in retrospect. And you've very clearly said, this is where, my, this is where I want to go. This is where I think God wants me to go. This is how I can figure out how to go there. That's what I want for my life. So, so I want you to consider, and just be of all the people in your circle, all of them, how many of you, how many of them would you say, you give me a percentage or even a number, uh, would you say have, that, that have been taught that, know that, and want that? I want, I want to know, I want to go where God leads me. I want, to, I want to go where he leads me. I want his direction to be my direction. And uh, you've been taught that, and the way for me to know that, to know that is to be in his word. How many, what's the percentage of people that you know in your circle that you could say, um, think that way? And I, I, again, you couldn't have expected their answers. Some of them said not many, other than my family, my direct family. Uh, you know, been, my parents have instilled that in me, taught that. Uh, but I'd have to say that most of my friends or many of the people, that's not... They don't, that's not, they don't, they don't think that way. Most people I'm in school with, maybe I play football with, and, uh, or sports, athletics. Uh, no. Very small. Now, it is interesting. Uh, one of our young men uh, said, pretty much everybody I know. Thought, that's pretty cool. And then Zane, I'm going to pick on Zane. Uh, this was really good. Probably the most insightful thing you've ever... I wasn't expecting it. And this has to do with this whole series of verses here and the Advent. I said, so what do you think? He said, you know, I think there's some people that think that, but they wouldn't say it. I wasn't expecting that. They probably think that. Well, I want to do what the Lord wants me to do. I want to go his direction. But they wouldn't say it. Thank you, because I... That wasn't in my notes, but it's true. 
So again, going back to this though, and here's a little bit of the trouble that we might have. When you start talking about commandment, statutes, judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in, in the land where you're going over to possess it, so that your son, uh, that you and your son, this is general, and your grandson might fear the Lord, your God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. Now here's, just reading that, and this is something I know and it makes my heart very sad. I don't hesitate in saying this because I believe it for, for a number of reasons. And they're valid reasons. Something that I would say is a pandemic, it's a plague in modern Christianity. I really believe that. The, the way of the Lord, the theology of the Lord, the doctrine of the Lord, we in this New Testament world that we live in, we don't really like words like commandment, statutes, judgments, fear the Lord, keep all the statutes and his commandments. If I know anything at all in three decades of ministry, the New Testament message that's been preached has very little to do with judgment, statutes, commandments, and obedience. And it, it's true. We talk a whole lot about grace. Talk a whole lot about grace. And forgiveness. The old German theologian Bonhoeffer was asked, how did, how did Hitler pull off what he pulled off? Christianity in the gospel had been preached in Europe and in German for many centuries, certainly over a millennia. And what happened with the German citizens is nothing less than horrific. And Bonhoeffer said it was cheap grace. Cheap grace. I think much of Christianity to the light, to the delight of Satan has been following, following a theology, a doctrine that is cheap grace. Well, what do you mean? Again, this Old Testament stuff. Think Advent. Think of what we're celebrating. Where did it originate? Why are we celebrating it? What does it have to do with the statutes, the judgments, and the commandments of God and obedience? Go to Revelation chapter 14. See, part of the problem that we have is that we've had preachers that have taught, I think, cheap grace. That they've taught, well, there's the Old Testament law, and we're no longer bound by that law. And that's certainly not biblical. It's not. But I don't, we'll take you to a New Testament place, one of over 200 just in the New Testament. But this is about the Lamb. The Lamb and the 144,000 on Mount Zion and the revelation that Jesus gave John. And in verse 12 it says, here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments 
of God and their faith in Jesus. If you can find anywhere in Scripture that says to me that you can separate the commandments of God and faith in God, please do. You won't. It would be impossible. I'd love for you to do the study, though, just because it gets you in God's Word. You can't. At no place, in fact, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. Paul would write the Romans in Romans chapter 6, he said, should I continue to sin that grace may abound? May it never be. Jesus would say in the gospel accounts, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Obey my commands. And right here it says, here's the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow with them. James would write, faith without works is dead. You cannot work your way to salvation. No problem with that. The problem that we have and the children of Israel have had and the New Testament church has is a thought process that says, well, I'm saved by grace. And then we just completely at some level, and I think it's a pick and choose level. I don't think I know it is. Let me just ask you. So if you just went New Testament and you said, I'm just going to find Matthew through Revelation, if it appears to be a commandment that Jesus is requiring that the scripture uh, speaks very clearly about concerning any aspect of my life, if you would just do that study, could you at any point say, well, this one doesn't matter. That commandment doesn't matter. That one does. Here's a big one. I love this. This is one everybody likes. Matthew 7. Judge not, lest you be judged. I like that one. Everybody likes that one. With absolutely no biblical foundation or true theological evidence for what that means. In fact, the New Testament church has been called to make judgments, discernments. Not condemn, but to make judgments. The Corinthians were said, you expel this one. There's a sexual immorality happening in this church that's not even named amongst the pagans. You expel this person from you. They turn them over to Satan. God will use Satan in this case to hopefully bring him to repentance. That's New Testament. And it had to do with sexual immorality. So, well, you, I don't. So the church had to make a discernment, not a condemnation, but they had to make a judgment. And the judgment was based upon what? What God's Word says. What God's Word says. I don't think God has ever given you and I the right to judge someone according to his word. Well, you know, Corey, you do this. You're guilty of this. But the word of God does this. It condemns us. It convicts us. It's not me who condemns you or you who condemns me. Inappropriately, we have done that. Preachers have done it. Christians have done it. But what the word of God does is this. It condemns us. It's not me who makes the judgment. It's the word of God. His word that makes the judgment. 
And at no place in the New Testament, according to the Gospels, and in the New Testament epistles, can you say, I can set aside this commandment. This I can set it aside. If you can find that, please. I don't keep the commandments to save myself. Could not do that. But in my salvation, nowhere can I set aside those commandments. Go with me to Hebrews, the 10th chapter. I'm just doing New Testament. We'll tie this up together here. Because if I'm going to understand the Advent, the reason that he would come, live, preach, subject himself to the darkness and the brokenness of a dark world, be crucified, dead and buried, resurrected, and then just waiting to come back. The scripture said that he would come. The scripture said that he would live and he would die. It happened. The scripture said that he would be resurrected. It happened. And then the scripture says there's only one thing left and that's for him to return. It's going to happen. But just follow with me. This is what the New Testament writer of Hebrews says about Christians sinning, disobedient to God's word, willfully disobedient because of a cheap understanding of God's grace. Verse 26. It is, we treat sin just very cavalier, I think, on the hope just of God's grace. But now, again, Corey, I'm going to pick, but I, I'll point out your sin, and you'll point out mine. Verse 26, for if we, Christians, go on sinning willfully, there's a lot of Christians that willfully sin, professing Christians, because of a misunderstanding of God's grace, a misunderstanding of the moment of the advent. I like the Advent part where he comes. He's born. He lives. He dies for sin. But I don't think I like the Advent part of his second coming in light of who he was, what he stood for, and why. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses, any Christian, who has set aside Deuteronomy 6. Any one who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, New Testament. If you thought New Testament was good because you get a pass, how much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he has sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. 
And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. If we don't discuss this as we enter into the Advent, it's just cheap grace. It's another extending foot, another direction, step in the wrong way that quotes John 3.16 and has no concept of the Savior who came, endured everything that was dark and broken and sinful in this world, and becoming the sacrifice for us and becoming sin. And then you and I get the recipient grace from that. And then not to acknowledge that what that really means is you and I better know what those commandments are. We better commit our lives to living according to those commandments. Not to be saved, but because of the advent that promises salvation. I, I've debated whether I'd share this with you. I'm just going to do it. I prayed about it. Just to give you something to consider this Advent season. It's going to be a blessing to talk about the wonderful Counselor, Eternal Father, a Prince of Peace. It's going to be a blessing these few weeks. But let me ask you something. If you went and opened the book of Revelation and you studied, um, I'll give them to you next week in a handout. I won't preach on them. But if I gave you the list in the book of Revelation, the comments about judgment and sexual immorality, just in the book of Revelation, I will print those out for you. I have them for you next week. To the New Testament church, the saints that were called to persevere, I think you'd be shocked. I just think you would. But let me just explain cheap grace as clearly as I can. I could do it in any number of ways. Um, in today's culture, Christians, and once again, mind you, I have no desire to condemn anyone. I'm not in a position to condemn anyone. It's the Word of God that condemns me and us. But the Bible, the judgments, the statutes, and the commandments are very clear. If I said to you that uh, I was a fornicator, I'm a fornicator, just say I am. But I want to be your preacher. How many of you, and I've said it, I've confessed it, I'm a fornicator. How many of you would say, let's hire that guy? If you'd say, let's hire that guy, raise your hand. But what if I said, do you know that's just the way God made me? I'm a sexual being, and I really didn't have any choice over the matter. I was born that way. Well, I think that creates some doubts. But I said, no, wait a second, we're saved by grace. I'm no longer under the law. So why wouldn't you hire me? Or could I be a member of this church? Maybe I don't even want you to hire me, but could I be a member? 
make you uncomfortable. And yet we have a culture that is becoming more and more prevalent and it's affecting these kids. And that's the only reason I say this. That has said, don't you judge a homosexual. I don't have to judge them. It's the word of God that judges them. And then we're just, just it's got to be so comfortable. I'm going to be so comfortable. I really don't even talk about it. Now, I don't think we ought to do what preachers in the past have done, hammer that pulpit wanting to desire, just to, because it's easy and convenient. It tickles ears. But I want these kids to hear it because I'm promising you, they're hearing a message that in the worldly church, the church is being more affected by the world than the world. We're affecting the world, and that's true, folks. We've decided our, what we're going to say is a commandment, a judgment, a statute, a, a line that's been drawn. We'll just move that. The culture has moved it. We're going to move it. If I'm wrong, please correct me. And I have no desire to isolate or pick on any person, but this is a relevant illustration. And these kids are hearing. Oh, believe me, they're hearing it. They're hearing a message of a world that is heading in a direction. Everybody's heading in a direction to possess something. Very few of them are heading in the direction of the Lord, going where he wants them to go, to possess what he wants them to possess. And our kids. Because that Deuteronomic commandment was to your sons and your grandsons. Parents, how many of you are telling your kids, we need to know the judgments, the statutes, the commandment? How many? Are you just talking about John 3.16? Or making this advent into some nice little swathed baby and swathing in a manger, missing the whole relevance of the advent? The world's lost and it's broken and it's dying and people are living outside the judgments and the statutes and the commandments of God. And if that's not bad enough, the church is. The church is. We're ordaining people and putting them in positions of leadership that isn't a direct violation and an abomination to God. And I have no desire to judge anyone. It's the word of God that judges us. So as we move next week into wonderful counselor, a child being born to us, I want you to consider what would he counsel? You don't have to consider. It's right here. It's right here. Thank God we have a God who would give us his son. I pray to God that we understand that and we live our lives according to it. His judgments, his commandments, and his statutes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful that you would uh, see fit to visit us, to subject yourself into a human birth, and to become flesh and blood. We're just so thankful. We're so thankful that you would live your life amidst all the brokenness and the darkness, and that you would pour it out on behalf of us.
And Father, we're especially thankful that you're coming back to claim us according to your judgment and your word and your statute. And I hope and pray that we never cheapen that. I hope and pray that we never set it aside or change it because the direction of the world, but that our direction would be your direction. Our way would be your way. And we pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.